Hey there, I'm Everett. I'm Baron. And welcome to Bro, Bro Have, Have You Seen? Hey there, bro. How's it going, bro? Not too bad. Not yep. too bad. Another week of quarantine. I mean, yep. again. Been going at it strong. Yeah. Had a pretty good movie week. What about you? Uh, you know, it wasn't bad. Um, I tried to watch Gone with the Wind, <laughs> uh, but I only got 40 minutes in before the disc just froze Damn. and I couldn't continue. So I have seen almost a fourth of that movie. All right. Yeah. Uh, we'll start. see. I probably won't ever be in the mood to watch it ever again. Yeah. It was a rare occasion, but we'll see. I'll probably want to check that off my list eventually. So mm. we'll see. Yeah, I've been watching lots of stuff. Uh, got school starting next week online, so kind of wrapping up this week, hoping, just striving for that time. Yeah. Let's see what happens next week, but I've been watching lots of good stuff that I haven't told you about. I'm excited to talk about the end when we I know. talk about what's entertaining us. I'm extremely <laughs> curious. Um, no, it was pretty interesting. So I've still been in school. We have finals like next week, and uh, one of my classes we had to watch The Seventh Seal, uh, it was yeah. pretty appropriate that we were talking about it uh, a couple weeks ago, or last week, I guess. Yeah. And l- yesterday in class, we had a discussion. Um, we have class, like, remotely now, so it's kind of on mm-hmm. this thing called Zoom. And um, it was super satisfying to, like, talk about the movie with my classmates and just kind of discuss the different themes and kind of what Bergman was going for. Um I still think you need to revisit it. It's yeah. super, super amazing. But okay. it was a very good conversation and really satisfying uh, personally mm-hmm. just to nice. be able to talk about movies so outside of... Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. I was like, well, uh, I think the director was going for this and this. Actually, and the other movies by this director in the same time period. <laughs> exactly. I wanted to mention Wild Strawberries just yeah. because of like they're so similar in theme, but the way they go about that theme is totally mm-hmm. different. So, anyway, yeah. uh, I digress, but let's <laughs> head on into yeah. this week's review. Sweet. All right, so, I don't think, uh, typically I try to maybe hide the movie a little bit in suspense as I'm setting it up, uh, but we're just going to dive right into it. So, Francis Ford Coppola uh, had existed in Hollywood for several years at the time of the making of this movie. He wrote and directed a few movies that not only were panned by critics, but also achieved lackluster box office success. But after The Rain People, Coppola was desperate. He had an opportunity to adapt a hugely successful novel into a film, and while adapting a movie from an existing property is a no-brainer today, in fact, almost all the films released today are based on a known entity, it certainly wasn't all that appealing back in 1972. Coppola was friends with many of the great American auteurs of the era and wanted to be one of them, but felt that maybe he wasn't meant to write his own stories. He was a talented director, though, so he reluctantly agreed to co-write the script and direct the film. After its release, it became a mega hit. Hmm. Audiences loved it. Critics loved it. It even won three Oscars. Best Adapted Screenplay for Coppola and the novelist and co-writer Mario Puzo. Best Actor for Marlon Brando, who actually boycotted the ceremony, and Best Picture. This crime mafia epic has permeated the culture to the point that almost everyone, even those who haven't seen it, would recognize its key iconic moments, 
primarily the intro scene at the wedding and Marlon Brando's tuxedo as he grants favors to friends and family while petting a simple cat. <laughs> <laughs> Bro, this is the Godfather, of course. I mean, yeah. what else can be said about this <laughs> American classic? Uh, have you seen it? Uh, yeah. <laughs> you have now, but I guess. I have now seen this. Uh, it's definitely one I've always heard so much great stuff about. I always wanted to check it out, and so it was a good good time. Um, I was a little reluctant to watch it with some other stuff I've been... <laughs> I, I'm just going to keep teasing you with this, but some other stuff I've been watching. <laughs> I was uh, reluctant to peel away from that and check this one out, but once that first scene kicks in, uh, the long pullback... And then we see uh, Don Corleone and get roped into this world. I was really hooked, and uh, I was in it for the two-hour, 57-minute runtime, something like that. Uh, mm. It's not the longest movie I've seen, but it's definitely up there, and it was quite a, quite a long one. Um, I have read the novel, actually. I'm not 100% sure where this novel fits in, because I'm not sure if I read the first one or the second one, because there's the family Corleone, and then there's... Yeah. Uh, then there's the Godfather, and then there's the Sicilian, and so... So I did a little sure. bit of research, and the Godfather was the first book. Okay. I think the family Corleone came out way later. Oh, uh, okay. It was like the last book written, and I don't even know like if it was... Is it like a prequel? I don't even know if it was written by Puzo. It was a bit of a prequel, I think. Okay. It, it talks about Luca Brasi and like okay. some of his story and whatnot. But okay, cool. That, yeah, that helps. The Godfather was first, and then he didn't write the Sicilian until after the movies it's a totally separate storyline i was oh, just dang. kind of reading the blurb on the back of yeah because i own both of those but i've only read the godfather so yeah it's super interesting i don't know exactly how the movie compares to the book yeah um i've seen both of the first two movies but i haven't seen part three yet mm-hmm. so i was curious to know how much of the book covers the second movie, if it does at all. So I don't really know, but yeah. it'd be interesting to read those. And yeah. See. Um, I mean, it's been over a year since I read the, the Godfather, but, uh, I, I remember a lot when I was watching the movie, I remembered a lot, like a lot of it started coming back and I was like, okay, I remember this and some stuff I was like, Oh, this barely got brushed over in the movie, but in the book it was several, several chapters and that's natural. I mean, I can kind of talk about that as we go. I don't want to get too deep into that because again I can't remember and it's not super duper important but it's a very good adaptation I'm glad that uh, Mario Puzo uh, co-wrote it that's really cool it's always good to see an author work on the movie so they can you know f- get the faithful adaptation that it deserves because it's such a great book and such a great story and yeah I love the movie um, it was it was pretty long so that's like one thing that was maybe a drawback it mm. did takes a big chunk out of your day but i mean nowadays that's fine like i was okay with that <laughs> yeah um it's good to have that good to have that uh chunk of time set aside but it really does take a good afternoon and then you know i thought it maybe it was going to be a lot more action-packed a lot more stuff going on but it's a lot more talking a lot more dialogue heavy it's slower there's a lot of people to keep track of which is another thing i noticed uh but i think to that the movie really does a good job at showing who's important and keeping people, you know, that you need to know who they are. You mentioned how that was easier for you because of the actors. So that's one thing. Yeah. I already knew most of these actors going in, at least the big ones. Yeah. Of course, Marlon Brando and Al Pacino as the leads, but I also knew James Caan from other things and Robert Duvall. I actually just watched True Grit last night. Oh yeah. Spoiler, I guess, for my... Uh, what's been entertaining you later 
but Robert Duvall was in True Grit, the original one. Um, and so I recognized him from this movie as well. And uh, I actually found out that Diane Keaton plays Kay Adams. Um, oh, I did see that when I was looking. Yeah, that's yeah, super weird. She looks way different because she's really young in this. But mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, she's a really big actress. She was with uh, Woody Allen for a long time, was mm-hmm. in a lot of his movies. That's kind of where she um, maybe is most recognized from. Um, she's also in an episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm, which is pretty funny. Oh, nice. But anyway, yeah. And then, of course, Talia Shire, who's Adrian in the Rocky series. Uh, yeah, she, that's She plays crazy. the sister of the family who is getting married at the beginning of the film. And I wanted to see... I mean, of course, this movie is has a lot of historical context to mm-hmm. it in terms of, you know, American cinema at the time. And, and we've talked about that, I think, enough at this point, yeah. um, at least for now. And so I didn't want to get too bogged down in mm-hmm. the culture of the film and kind of um, anything surrounding it, like maybe the book or the other movies. I kind of just wanted to formally maybe analyze this movie, talk about it a little bit more in depth as yeah. far as a piece of art, a piece of film. And I wanted to see what your thoughts were on that opening scene. Mm-hmm. We get to the yeah. wedding of Connie, and this is where we're introduced to a lot of the characters. So what did you think of that, and what were some of your main thoughts? Okay. Yeah, I, I love this first scene. I think it's a very, very effective opening cold you know just dumps you right into the world like i was saying the first shot is like a pullback from some guy that's talking to when we don't know he's talking to yet turns out it's the godfather and he's asking for you know a favor Mm -hmm. and just the way that he deals the godfather deals with this guy is it really just sets up his character and it's super intriguing um and i loved the whole scene cutting back and forth between like the wedding and stuff going on and then the godfather has different meanings it just really sets up like this world of all these different threads going on you can really see how busy and like connected and powerful these people are which was really cool right at the gate you know like I, I expected that going in but the way they set it up was really good so that opening scene yeah like you're like you're saying i really liked it nice um yeah for me i noticed that there's a ton of exposition in this scene mm. um I, as i was watching it i was trying to think is there any point of this scene other than exposition and I don't think there is, but at the same time, it's a super good scene. Like, the exposition is definitely necessary. You have mm-hmm. to understand who these characters are. And like we talked about, there's a lot of characters to keep track of. Yeah. And there's a lot of different uh, aspects to this world that are important later. Like, the Godfather's favors that people ask of him. He's only allowed to... Or he's not allowed to say no to a favor on his daughter's wedding day. It's kind of part of their culture. And just how judicious he is as a character as a as this leader he's very smart and he treats everyone very fairly and with a lot of respect yeah even when he tries to tell them no or he suggests other um uh, avenues or different options i guess i was thinking of a different word but i couldn't think of it but um yeah i really did like this opening sequence it keeps cutting back and forth between the wedding right and this dark office um, where the Godfather, played by Marlon Brando, his character's name is Vito Corleone, and he's really, really, he's just like this tough, enigmatic character, and I really like the way that it set that up in particular and how it 
contrasted the brightness of the daytime and the partying and the music mm, yeah. to the dark, quiet, somber tones that were inside of his office uh, in that moment. So we get introduced to Michael, the son, played by Al Pacino, mm-hmm. who becomes pretty much the central figure of the movie. I think it really is Michael's movie. And I wanted to get your thoughts on his introduction. What did you think of him as a character and how he changes and progresses, maybe without spoiling too much? Yeah, right. We don't want to get in there into spoilers yet. Yeah, uh, it's interesting. Yeah, he's he's set up as this kind of almost outsider to the family. I mean, he knows what they do, but not he's not involved with the business, which is interesting. And he's got this girl, and she's asking him questions. I was surprised that he like told her stuff about the business. Because, I mean, you're not really supposed to talk about stuff outside of the to people outside of the family. But I, he's like this returned, I don't know, war vet. He's, I don't know, he's actively serving, something like that. I'm not 100% sure. But that was pretty interesting, just how he's, you know, this kind of outsider guy. But still, uh, you know, he's not involved with the family's business, all that. And mm-hmm. how that kind of changes through the movie. Yeah, I wrote down... very important. I wrote down that quote. He said, that's my family, that's not me. Yeah. And... It reminded me of how oftentimes characters will say things that they contradict in their actions mm-hmm. later. And uh, I found that to be very interesting. It keys us into, um, I think, people watching the movie, they they can sense that that maybe isn't totally true, what he's yeah. saying. Um, and even if they don't understand like that technique of you know characters saying things that are opposite to who they are, and how you can't really trust characters and what they say, but only by what they do. And I really liked how Michael does spend a lot of time telling Kay these stories of the violence that his family yeah. will do and the different ways that they um, treat people. In fact, even that violence story about Luca Brasi is contrasted by the story he tells about Tom Hagen who's the conciliary to the family, which is basically like the family lawyer or advisor who kind of just is at the side of the Don and, you know, gives him advice and counsel. Yeah. So that was kind of the opening sequence. It was that wedding. We're introduced to all those characters. We're introduced to maybe some of the themes that are going to be presented is that I think one of the bigger themes is that contradiction between the violence and the tenderness. Yeah. That... You see in a lot of mobster movies, these tough guys have a lot of sweetness towards certain people in their lives, but then they're explosively violent in other aspects of their lives. Um, but uh, what did you think of some of these characters? There's a lot of them. Who are some that stood yeah. out to you the most? Obviously, The Godfather. Uh, <laughs> really? Yeah, I mean, it's... He's kind of a background player. Yeah, but... he's like third character ranked down like <laughs> like third tertiary you know yeah no but he's uh very in- i mean we kind of talked about him already but like you're saying with the the contrastingness of his the contrastingness <laughs> i don't know contradiction of his nature uh we first see him holding the cat <laughs> while he's uh you know dealing with these issues these different affairs which is kind of interesting but he's very gentle with the cat and i mean he's a very respectful gentle guy i would say but also very menacing. But uh, yeah, just the way he he's such a family man. He's the original Dom from Fast and the Furious, you know. <laughs> it's all about family. It's all about the family. So I like that about his character and he's pretty much willing to do anything for anyone that he loves or people that he owes a favor to. And 
or even someone that owes him a favor, you know, he's not just going to turn his back on them. He's always looking out for everybody, which is cool. He's a very just guy. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the other characters that's interesting is not a, as big of a player in the movie is Johnny Fontaine, the godson, who's from Hollywood. He's like a singer originally, and he's trying to get into acting, and he's trying to get into this new movie. And that whole, uh, the way that whole plays out with the producer and stuff is really cool. We can get into yeah. that with some of the violence. Um, yeah. But he was not as not as big of an actor, character, character in this mm-hmm. compared to the book. And I thought that was kind of interesting. Uh, there was a lot more chapters devoted to him in the book. But uh, some of the other characters, the other brothers are really interesting. We don't really get much of Fredo throughout the whole movie, but mm-hmm. um, the other brother, uh, Sonny, we get a lot of him, and his setup was pretty good, too. I mean, he's having affairs and doing all kinds of stuff, so... <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Yeah, He. I mean, that relationship between Sonny and his father is one of the things that stands out to me the most. And the relationship between Sonny and Michael mm-hmm. as like Sonny, he's the oldest, I believe. And I think then I think it's Fredo. Fredo's the middle yeah, and yeah. then Michael's the yeah, youngest. Mike, yeah. Or, and I don't know where the sister fits in. I mm-hmm. think she's older than Michael probably. probably. But anyway, I, I like that family dynamic that goes on, as you mentioned, the family and how important that is to Vito. He's not afraid to reprimand his sons when they speak That's out of true. line or yeah. talk out of line. I remember that that scene where they're trying to make a deal. Vito is proposing to get into the narcotics business. I think it's heroin or cocaine, yeah. some kind of drug. And uh, he's hesitant, but the conciliary as well as Sonny, they advise him that it'd be a smart move to do. So he's meeting with this guy to get into the business. That the Talia's will guarantee it. Oh, are you telling me that the Talia's guarantee our investment? And I have a sentimental weakness for my children, and I spoil them, as you can see. They talk when they should listen. But anyway, Senor he's, he's not afraid to kind of crack the whip on his kids, but he does really love them. I think especially with Michael, he has a soft spot for Michael, and he always kind of had big dreams for him, as he says later on in the movie. But, uh, yeah, and after that scene, he's like, never talk bad, never pick a side opposite of the family in public again like never yeah. never contrast me in front of anybody else mm-hmm. and that comes into play later with mike as we see his transformation he says that to someone else later in the movie as well that's true i forgot that he mentioned that to sunny Vito yeah. did because yeah i do remember when michael said that yeah. to fredo later and just how michael kind of grows into the shoes of Vito, his yeah. father as the movie progresses and how he um kind of becomes that leader and there's there's a lot of big major turning point scenes. You said how the movie was a lot of talking. And I do remember, uh, of course, there are those violent scenes that maybe stand out the most for someone who has seen the movie already. Um, and I think that violence really punctuates the movie. It, it marks the turning points. Mm-hmm. It marks significant changes in the plot and the narrative. Um, like you mentioned, that that Hollywood guy... You know, pretty much the first time we see some true, um, yeah, the the hammer coming down on the enemies of the Corleones is, uh, you know, that six hundred grand horse, you know, it's appearing the the <laughs> appearing in the guy's bed. Um, yeah, I don't know how much we want to spoil now, or if we want to go into some more deeper things. 
early or uh, I don't know. I say we just spoiler alert and keep going. Sure. Yeah. So I mean, we don't this, have to beat around the bush. Yeah. With a lot of stuff. I guess we can just kind of wrap up our initial thoughts. Yeah. Um, of course, this is one of the greatest movies of all time. It's a classic, um, and you know sometimes it's a little bit daunting as a exactly. you know amateur wannabe critic podcaster to talk about this movie in smart and interesting ways but i do really enjoy it it's one of those movies that i almost enjoy more studying and learning about than i do actually watching Mm -hmm. which might be why um i can't remember who it is but someone you were telling me earlier that they always have it on the loop like yeah it's a casey neistat he's a really really famous youtuber and he had mm. this big monitor setups. So he had all these security cameras and one of them right in the middle just had the godfather on loop for some reason yeah it's kind of funny yeah it's it's a classic everybody kind of loves it i don't know many people who don't like it um and so in that way you know it stands as one of those hallmarks of american cinema you know that that mafia crime genre is, yeah. is kind of a big thing i mean coppola and scorsese basically dual-handedly created that genre and uh, so cool how important that is to american culture and cinema nowadays but yeah uh we're gonna go ahead and you know dig into more of the plot this did come out in 72 so uh Mm -hmm. it's not like we're spoiling anything 50 years old too crazy yeah two years it'll be 50 years old (laughs) yeah so uh you know if you haven't seen it obviously uh it's a big blind spot for you and you need to go check it out because you know there's a lot in the culture references and <laughs> yeah. different homages paid by other directors in fact uh, we'll get into it a little bit with quentin tarantino had a couple oh, really? little moments in his career that reflected this movie a lot and um yeah it's uh it's definitely something that everyone should see i don't say that about everything but the godfather is like in the top 10 of like if if uh if you only have 10 movies that mm-hmm. you must see in your whole life, this is one of them, I think. so. Yeah, it's just it's so cool. It grabs you right from the beginning if you're hesitant, and I think you'll really enjoy it. I, I just There's something undescribable. Just the mafia crime genre is just so intriguing, something that many, many people don't know about. Like It's not something that's common, mm-hmm. and so it's just such a foreign thing that goes on in our world that's just so cool and intriguing to see how things work out in that kind of a situation so Mm -hmm. yeah it's great it's a great movie cool all right well we're gonna go ahead and spoilers ahead so stick with us we probably won't go for too much longer here it is a really long movie so there's a lot to talk about yeah um but for the sake of not going on for an hour and a half talking about it uh we can kind of just briefly run through some of the notes that we each had and some of the maybe more thematic elements and filmmaking elements to it um, what did you pick out as you were watching? What were some major moments or themes that you found? Yeah, there's a couple major turning points in the movie for different characters. And like we said, my, this is really Michael's movie. And Michael has quite a few big moments. I'd say the first big one would be when he kills the McCluskey, I think, the police captain and the, the and son Salazzo. of... The, yeah, Salazzo, the son of the Tatalia. Is it Tatalia? I can't remember. I think so. There's so many names. <laughs> yeah. It's something like that. He, I think the, it's the Tatalias, because yeah. those two families are in a feud, basically, yeah. the whole movie. Yeah, it's... And then, like, the Barzinis come in as a kind of a third party later on. Yeah. Enemy to the Yeah, so when Mike kills those two, that was his big moment, because that's when he broke into the family. Yeah. And 
that's when you know he kind of does his first his first dirty work gets hands dirty yeah. and that was so cool how they played that out he goes in the bathroom gets the gun i loved that part in the book that i thought that was really clever and interesting and i was just waiting because i think i can't remember if he sits down in the book or not but i was waiting because they told him right when he comes out to shoot him immediately yeah. but he sits down yeah. and i was like oh no maybe he got cold feet yeah. i don't know and then and you he see in his eyes that yeah like he's he, pretty nervous he's trying to build up the courage to do it yeah that's insane yeah, my heart was pounding in that scene. Yeah, that is very so tense. tense. And there are a few moments in movies that I've had like that. Um, I remember there's a moment in the movie Room mm. from 2015 uh, that really gave me that feeling as well of just like, you know, it's just so intense and like I'm so nervous. I like yeah. physically nervous. It's weird. But yeah, I mean, that scene plays out so well and... I looked at my little timeline on the DVD player, Blu-ray player, and uh, it's perfectly right in the middle. Nice. Give or take a couple minutes. Perfect. But it happens about an hour and a half in, and uh, it it's totally, I mean, it, it flips the rest of the movie, you know, kind of on its head where, you know, instead of Michael being this passive, you know, observer side tangent to the family, yeah. he's now like, he's going headstrong into you know, taking over the family business like maybe his father always wanted him to. Yeah, was, I really expected, I mean, okay. I, I expected um, Sonny to take over. Right. But it was interesting. I mean, and like, it's kind of funny because I've read the book. So when I was watching it, it's like, obviously I know what happens. But mm-hmm. I had forgotten a few things. Yeah. But I was like, oh yeah, okay, this makes sense. You know, like Sonny, he's like the next one in line. He's already like, once the, once uh you know, Vito gets shot, he's kind of in charge for now, and the next, you know, is there at times, and there's other people around, and, you know, you'd never think that Mike, he'd be the last guy you'd think in the family to take over, like, he, I thought Connie would take over before, you know, like, his sister <laughs> would take over before he would, because yeah. he's so opposed, at least he says he is, and, uh, mm-hmm. and then that moment, it's like, oh, shoot, he's in this, like, now he's a part of it, and so, yeah. it's kind of interesting, like, maybe he could take over, and, yeah, of course he does later and, on. And I think one of the major themes is that element that they talk about a lot is business versus personal. Yeah. At what point does it cross the line, you know? Because you're dealing with family, you're dealing with close associates and friends. True. And uh, at what point does something break from being business to being personal? And sometimes the characters, I feel like, use that phrase business um, as sort of an excuse, like Mm -hmm. a barrier in between them is like, hey, man, like, it wasn't personal, so you can't you know, give retribution. But at the same time, there were other times when I felt like it truly was business and, you know, cooler heads should have prevailed, which in Michael's case, they did. Um, when Sonny is blasting off about how they shot his dad and Michael's just sitting there calm and collected. And he says, you know what, Sonny, like, you're right. We do need to, um, we do need to retaliate, but not in the way that you're saying. We need to think about this. We need to be smart. Yeah. And in the end, I mean, it works out. Yeah, because mm-hmm. yeah, because Sonny, he's he usually gets like uh, pulled around by his emotions. He gets really emotionally invested, which yeah. is not smart in this line of work. <laughs> and that's how he dies, you know, because uh, and he he gets drawn out. I think that's what happens. He gets drawn out by the opposing family because the son or the the son-in-law that's married to the sister. Uh, beats the sister and then that enrages Sonny. Mm-hmm. He goes out just off the cuff. Kicks the yeah. living daylights out of him. Yeah, that was crazy. 
And then, well, then later, uh, when he gets in the car and goes out, and then he gets stuck at the the toll booth, and that's when he totally gets shot up. Like, yeah, I was if not you expecting that. If you wouldn't have, that was like a Bonnie and Clyde moment. It was. I was yeah. thinking that exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Same exact um, way that they yeah. shot that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I shot it. <laughs> Stupid. <laughs> Anyways. Again, like, that's when Sonny, his emotions are taking control, and he's not thinking about things. He didn't, he could have just taken somebody with him, or, you know, if he just yeah. didn't go off by himself, and he had to go, and he was all mad, and... He made a dumb mistake, and that's what got him, cost him his life, so. Yeah, he was, like, blinded by his rage. Yeah. He had those blinders yeah. on. Um, yeah, and jumping back just a little bit, when Vito was shot, I didn't remember it being that early. Dude, I did not expect that. I was like, what the heck is going to happen in this movie? He's already going to be dead? <laughs> I know. I thought it happened way later, uh, like halfway. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that was a good moment pretty shocking you know you don't know if he's gonna pull through because he got shot like five times i yeah, think yeah i think it said five and uh you know he barely made it which is kind of funny i don't know how they didn't know, pull right? that off you know but um but still and i like how you know the family gets together it's this intense moment but uh, they they quickly turn from like mourning for their dad and like you know trying to be there for him and you know, resolve that family side of things, but they kind of immediately switch over to the business side of things. Yeah. Like, what are we going to do now? You know, we got a big target on our backs and we need to retaliate, yada, yada, like we've talked about before. Um, and then that scene, like you mentioned, where he goes and kills Salazzo and McCluskey, the, the scene where... You know, I watched a video about the blocking and staging of that scene, how they showed mm. the switch of power between Sonny to Michael. Nice. And uh, it really does, like, you see a lot of Vito in Michael. You know, he's very calm, like I said before. Sure. And, you know, he's he's a really smart thinker. You know, he's kind of a snake in that way. He's really, really clever. He's a good leader. You know, he knows how to work a room. He knows how to convince people. And he knows how to come up with a good plan. And putting the gun behind the toilet and all that. So clever. I really liked that moment. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so after he shoots those guys, he has to go into exile. Mm -hmm. He goes to Sicily. What did you think of that sequence in particular? What are some thoughts on that? Yeah, I like that as well. I, it was also a much bigger part of the book. It took up a good chunk. And it was. I think that's super interesting how he had to flee. And then at him being like possibly the next you know, patriarch, next dawn, him being absent is interesting and kind of what everyone else is doing at home. And I, I like the moment when uh, Vito finds out that it was Michael. He's like, where's Michael? Because he finally is conscious back at the home and they're all talking and everyone's coming to greet him. And Vito asks, I think he probably asks Sonny, I think it was, mm -hmm. where's Michael? And he's like, Michael's the one that shot him. And at, that, at that moment, it's like, you know how... Vito has this soft spot for Michael, but maybe he's also, like, really proud of him that he's finally in the business, and, like, yeah. oh, yeah, he's, like, my protege. He's, so like, <laughs> but he's also kind of disappointed because he's, like, in super danger. Yeah. And had to leave. I think he's and definitely so worried There's, like, a lot him. going on in that mm -hmm. moment that I thought was really cool. Yeah, and a lot of the tenderness between the father and son, they come later in the movie mm -hmm. as Vito is, is kind of older, and he's, you know... Semi-retired. He's getting gray, semi-retired, you know, and Michael is kind of fully in charge of the business you know he eventually comes back from sicily and you mm -hmm. know he yeah fires hagen basically and hires his dad as his conciliary it's awesome so, um, i love how it's like 
when someone asks Vito, he's like, well, I have my full trust in my son, uh, Michael. So if he, that's what he says, then that's, I give you my blessing too. <laughs> he's like total confidence in Michael and yeah. just how people look up to Vito so much. And he's just like, dude, like if that's what he says, that's what I say too, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's pretty and, cool. And, uh, about the, um, Sicily sequence. I mean, I don't know if you had any more kind of thoughts on that mm. or anything that stood out. Uh, I mean, it was pretty, I, yeah, like I said, it's a bigger part of the book. Um, Michael falling in love with the, the one the girl, the lady, the woman there. Yeah. Apollonia. Apollonia. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like in the book, it talked a lot more about the, the, the lightning bolt or whatever that like struck him and he like fell in love. He had all these like dream sequences. I think it was like pretty weird <laughs> yeah. if I remember right, but that was more of a drawn out process, but that was cool. I, it's interesting though, like, cause he had the girl back home and so it's kind of rough, but mm-hmm. I mean, she, she died anyways. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, man, that, that was, was so rough. That, that was, was the so worst. Rough. I mean, Apollonia is way cooler than yeah. Kay, I think like she's kind of a babe too, but yeah, like, anyway, yeah. <laughs> uh, she like, I don't know. She's kind of that perfect, like Sicilian, like she fits into the family better than Kay does. Yeah. Kay is a bit of an outsider and throughout the movie I noticed how she does not take any of Michael's crap like she mm. she will always keep asking questions to get more details because Michael he's pretty good at like judging how much information to share with people but Kay like she cuts right through that every time yeah and uh it's interesting how you know she and his relationship works in the end but uh, of course yeah Apollonia gets blown up um Dark Knight style, you know, with the judge. I don't know if you remember that, but no. Anyway, so he has. He finally goes back, and it's uh, it's really interesting. Like, I don't know. Trying not to uh, get too much like scene by scene mm-hmm. description, but uh, when he's in Sicily, my last thought on this sequence was that he really is filling into his father's shoes here. I mean, he goes back to the homeland. You know, yeah. he's living amongst his father's people. And he's got, like, bodyguards and, like, people that he's, like, bossing around. Like, yeah. oh, go grab this for me or go do this. Like, yeah, I noticed, he has people. I noticed how he's really kind of honing his skills as mm-hmm. the dawn. Like, it's kind yeah. of a trial run for him. He's going to do it on a small scale, and then he's going to bring it back home. Totally. Uh, that was sweet. That scene with Apollonia's father, the first time he talks to him, and he's like, hey, I'm going to marry her. And the dad's like, no way. And he's he just lays out his plan, like, look, man, like kind of threatens him with violence true um, he's like look you can uh she can gain a husband or lose a father which is it gonna be yeah i'm telling you who i am this is dangerous information so i mean that's true you want to die or let me marry your daughter really <laughs> like yeah but it was crazy how the buddy his little uh i don't know underling uh he was the one who kind of betrayed him in the end yeah. i think yeah, because you see him duck away behind yeah. the wall when the car blows up, and that's when you like he's like Apollonia, and then it blew up. Yeah, so. it sucks. That's a crushing scene. Um, so yeah. yeah, to pull back a little bit. Yeah, out of this super <laughs> detailed spot. Anyways, all right, we're done um, with Sicily. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so um, I guess we could go back to our original line that we were going on, which was big changing mo- points in the in the movie. And yeah, I guess we can go back you know, just to Michael specifically. And one of the next ones would be, uh, we talked about when Sonny was shot and then, then when he deals with all the other families and assassinates yeah. all the rest of them. That was awesome. That uh, was such talk, a good talk scene. more about that scene. 
Dude, okay. So he so Connie has a baby and she's asked Michael to be the godfather. Yeah. Which big is, important. Yeah, I mean that's the title of the movie. It's it's Wait. an important role in the family. It's almost more important than being the Don is being somebody's godfather and looking out for them, raising them as if they were your own. Kind of like Don or Vito did did with Johnny Fontaine. Yeah. As well as Tom Hagen in a way. He was kind of the That's godfather true. taking in Tom. And uh, obviously, those who have seen the film, if you're sticking with us at this point, you've probably seen the film, hopefully. And it's one of the most iconic moments where the baptism scene, which is tranquil and peaceful and spiritual, is intercut with these shots of extreme violence with uh, the cronies going around and shooting up all the other five family dons uh, and how that balance works super well with the dialogue that's being spoken by the father in the church and he's asking Michael like do you renounce Satan do you renounce Satan's works you know all this different stuff about uh, being a good person and Michael's just nodding along like yes totally I accept you know God and I renounce Satan and yeah. at the same time he's ordering all these people to you know murder and you know commit these atrocities for the sake of you know business in the end I mean he's kind of looking for success and riches in a way I think he could justify it as looking out for his family and protecting them but uh, yeah what did you think about that scene yeah I mean you said it great but it's it's one of the best scenes in the movie for sure it's another one of those ultra violent ones which is great I, I liked it. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know if I have too much to say about it specifically, but it's very well crafted with the intercutting. And that, that's one of the, I didn't notice a lot of editing, camera work type stuff. I'm sure there's a lot more to that. Uh, and like you were saying with blocking and sh- like shadows, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but this moment was one of the ones where I noticed some of the editing and camera work choices that they were using, uh, which was cool to see. Yeah, it's definitely (laughs) one of the flashier elements uh, for Coppola as a director, and you know that scene I think is in particular one of the the highlights on that front, as well as that horse head scene. Mm. I kind of wanted to break that down just a little bit more, and just to kind of wrap things up uh, right after that. But so you said it as well as you were watching the movie that, and and I noticed it too that. This scene um, with the horse head in the guy's bed, he's the Hollywood producer. He doesn't want to let Johnny Fontaine go from his contract. And so, you know, Vito going to do what Vito going to do. And uh, he chops off the head of the $600,000 horse and puts it at the foot of this guy's bed. And the way that that information is revealed to the audience is so clever. Uh... I really liked the, there were a few like dissolve shots right before that of the guy's house. The house, because yeah, we saw the house earlier. Yeah, there were some pans and it would dissolve like four or five times and then in the mornings. So, you know, he's waking up, there's that slow push into the bed and as you get closer, you see just a tiny splotch of blood like up by his shoulder area. Yeah, on the sheets. Yeah, on the the sheets. sheets. And then... He wakes up and he's like, he has this weird look on his face, like, what is going on here? And he slowly, like, he pulls down the sheets a little bit and there's blood and there's blood on his hand. Yeah. 
and he just like keeps pulling the sheets away and there's more and more blood and then whoosh he rips all the sheets off and then boom there's a big horse's yeah. head bleeding so and he's cool. sitting in this pool of blood it's insane uh and he just <laughs> screams and i mean that's definitely one of the most iconic yeah moments of the movie that i think a lot of people would know but uh i just love the way that that information is slowly like distilled down to the audience to where you know you get that shocking kind of uh, yeah, you realize it. You almost realize it maybe before it happens, or like I mean, I did because I knew it was coming. Right. So did I. So it's kind of yeah. hard to tell. Because like once you start seeing the blood, I was like, oh yeah, this is the guy with the horse head, and there's gonna be a horse head. Because yeah. that part of the book was one of my favorites. It's some of the best writing. That description. Uh, I should find that passage again because I I like highlighted it in the book. I loved mm. it. The yeah. way it describes like the bleeding, pulsating horse head or whatever, like <laughs> it's just, like super grotesque. But it was pretty gross, man. That's uh, a great scene. And that was a really expensive horse, and I th- I thought it was funny that he he spent that much money on a breeding horse, basically. Yeah. Like he's gonna put him out to stud instead of race him. So that was crazy. But uh, yeah, just to kind of wrap up a little bit, you know, that final moment between Michael and yeah. the brother-in-law. Uh, what were you thinking about that? Did you have any thoughts about this, like the ending of the closing? Michael and the brother. What was his name? Oh, Carlo. Carlo. <clears throat> yeah, that's not the thing. Not the scene I was thinking. Of. I have one more okay. scene. Yeah, go that's ahead. Important. Go ahead. Uh, it's uh, Vito. He's at home. His grandson is watering the garden, and they're kind of goofing around. He puts like some stuff in his mouth. It looks like a monster. Some food up in his teeth. Yeah, and. They're playing, and then I think it cuts immediately after that to the funeral scene, which was really interesting. Well, he does die. You watch him fall over. When? Vito. In that scene? Yeah. Oh. He's playing shoot. in the raspberry bushes or whatever. Yeah. And oh, uh, he's, like, stomping around, chasing the grandson, and then he, like, has a heart attack, basically, and oh, tips I over. I don't know how I missed that. <laughs> but anyways, after that scene, yeah. it cuts straight to the funeral, yeah. which is interesting, because I think that, like, if his final... His final closing out scene is one of, like, tenderness and him playing with his family. It True. could have been, like, one of him going out and, like, blaze of fire, like, killing <laughs> Like Sonny people. did. Yeah. Yeah. And it's completely different. And so it's, like, highlighting his, you know, his uh, more tender nature. Yeah. And so I thought that was really cool and very important to, yeah. to and Don Tavito. It's funny because I had a slightly different reading of that scene. Uh, of course, the first scene of the movie we get, and he is well-dressed, very neat. Mm-hmm. He's got the rose on his lapel. He's sitting powerfully in his office, just like very dignified, very in charge. And then at the end, his hair is a mess. He's wearing dirty clothes. He's running around mm. in the garden. Yeah. And he falls over like pretty disgracefully. Um, I guess if you're thinking like in terms of like grace, graceful, it wasn't right. very graceful. Um, and I thought that contrast was really interesting in, in his character and how he fell. But I do like that yeah. tenderness reading as well. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, that's interesting because you could also look at it as the whole and then you can see his decline in power and influence and that type yeah. of thing. Yeah. So I that's mean, interesting. Cool. Death comes <laughs> for us all, you know. Yeah. I recently thought a ton about Seventh Seal and the the prevailing sense of dread surrounding that whole movie in that time period that death is coming for everyone and there's no escaping it. And Vito, you know, however powerful and however, you know, like you said, influential he may have been, yeah. you know, he, he's going to die at some point. And death, death is kind of not very graceful for many people, you know, like we all, 
are, you know, pretty ugly and pretty, you know, I don't, it's not pretty at the end, you know, for most people. So I liked how they showed that and uh, him, that shot of him laying in the garden was a very beautiful shot. I liked that. I think we get a sense through the movie of his inevitability of death. That's kind of like the main theme of the movie is his transitioning of power. It's like literally the blurb on any poster or IMDb, you know, it's kind of the synopsis of the movie is this aging, uh, you know, mob boss is transitioning his power to his kids. Mm. But I think we definitely, it's, it's very much felt through the whole movie, which is cool. I like, I don't know anything else to explain about that, but just thought like, I really felt that through the movie that he was, you know, this decline. And as, I mean, he gets shot, but like through the whole time, he's like really, gruff voice really yeah. his movements are slow he's an old guy like yeah. he's gonna be gone soon and the way he deals with his family and it feels like he's kind of wrapping up business at time like not business if we want to be spe- like wrapping up his family right. uh, affairs affairs kind of. and stuff yeah yeah and like you just mentioned that assassination attempt on Vito's life and it, it reminded me or at least made me think that you know it shows that vulnerability of him yeah, and, and I, I actually, talking about how it's so early in the film that it's really interesting kind of what Coppola and Puso are doing here is showing us that, like, you know, the mafia is this big, big, you know, like, he's the dawn of this family and he's kind of the head over these other five families in a way. Um, but at the same time, like, his human vulnerability, there's nothing he mm-hmm. can do. Like, Yeah, I felt that, too. You can have bodyguards, and he had a bodyguard sitting in the car, but it was too late. There's nothing that guy could have done at yeah. that point. And so, it just felt like it could crumble at any second. Like, yeah. all this big, huge tower of power or whatever is super... Tower of power. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's, a, it's kind of funny. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, this huge hierarchy could just collapse at any second because these, these people are human, and uh, they can be shot and killed, and they all did. Like, you know, it's crazy. Yeah, totally. All right, and on that note, I think we can, you know, wrap up the show. I had one little bit of trivia I mentioned. I I hinted a little bit at the beginning that uh, Quentin Tarantino obviously is a huge fan of this movie, like who isn't? Um, And there's a character named Captain McCluskey. Yeah. And, like, I think the biggest way that it reminded me of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was that the fact that Al Pacino says the word McCluskey a bunch of times Uh. in this movie and then in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Al Pacino, he's talking to Leonardo DiCaprio's character and the name of the movie that DiCaprio's character was in was called The 14 Fists of McCluskey. Uh-huh. And so it's just like the sound of Al Pacino saying McCluskey just like triggered yeah. that memory. That's funny. But uh, that was kind of a, maybe a clever nod to this movie that Tarantino did in that scene, as well as... In Inglorious Bastards, when uh, they're talking to the German soldier, he's asking him to point on the map where the other guys are, and the character named the Bear Jew comes out. He points to the badges on his chest, and he says, did you get those for killing Jews? And he says, bravery. And uh, it's a funny scene, but I finally understood where it came from. There's actually a deleted scene in The Godfather. <laughs> okay. This There's is a deep cut. Yeah. yeah, it is. There's a deleted okay. scene in The Godfather where Michael is talking to Vito and Michael's wearing his uniform uh, and Vito looks at him and he's like, what are all those 
Christmas colors for on his <laughs> chest. And he's like, they're for bravery. Nice. <laughs> Just the way that he says that, I think maybe Tarantino maybe subliminally picked up on that and put it in later. Because, you know, he's such a big film nerd. He probably has seen all of the deleted oh, yeah. scenes and stuff. Yeah. There's another reference to this movie that's a lot more mainstream. Well, okay. maybe not mainstream, but more accessible. And that would be Zootopia. Oh. <laughs> There's a classic. It's like the opening scene. Not in Zootopia, but in The Godfather, when in the office where he's sitting in the chair, there's like a scene where they go to like a badger. What is like a badger? It's like some, I don't remember what animal it was, but he's sitting in like a big chair and it's it's like the same situation. They're asking for like a favor. I'm sure there's dialogue that's, Probably. I'd have to watch it again now that I've seen The Godfather, but yeah, and it's like funny how many influences this movie. Definitely. Uh, and that image as well uh, appears a lot of times in like the James Bond franchise. With, yeah. like, the villain, he's always sitting on a chair, and he's got the cat that he's petting. Mm-hmm. And I actually heard that the cat in this movie, they it was like a stray that they found on the Paramount lot. Oh, right. And uh, he was just petting him. And it actually, like, the cat's purring was so loud that they had to, like, dub over <laughs> some of Marlon Brando's lines. Because he what? spoke really quietly so funny. in the movie. So, anyway, that was a little funny. Um, yeah. Cool. On that note, what a great way to end. Yeah, cats. Yeah. (laughs) Cat love. Let's go. Yeah, so uh, stick around in the next couple days. So usually our regular episodes drop on Friday morning, about 6 a.m. At least we try to. Mountain Uh, Standard Time. Yes, Mountain Standard Time, 6 a.m. on Friday. Um, And we've been releasing our extended, what is it called, What's Entertaining You Deluxe Premium. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, We've been releasing those episodes on like Monday or Tuesday. So uh, stick around for those. Hopefully we can recommend you guys enough stuff to keep you entertained uh, during this uh, difficult time. Sweet. But uh, also be sure to leave a five-star review on iTunes. Really, really helps a ton. You have no idea. And as well... You can give us some feedback. Oh, yeah. We got it set up. Let's go. Created a email account. Go, it's bro. called bro have you seen podcast at gmail.com. That's epic. Bro have you seen podcast at gmail.com. Uh, let us know, you know, if you have questions about the show or if you have any suggestions for movies that we should review or think about talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, let us know. And uh, we'd very much appreciate all of your feedback and, uh, all that jazz so yeah and check us out on letterboxd uh if you don't want to listen to a full weekly extended weekly recommend we're we always update all of our stuff on there of what we're watching so check us out on there uh mine's probably baron clark i think just under members tab and then yours is uh ever clark 236 so <laughs> yeah yeah okay well with that said um we'll see you later it's and uh, give you an offer you can't refuse bye see you bye. Oh, 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 oh,